This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cool Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Grawn, your whale. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and close to us, sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, Meryl Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore and mythology. We retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, the culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olan. I'm your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 219 of Fireside. Today on the Irish storytelling podcast, we have a wonderful world tale from the incredible and ancient world of Egyptian mythology. This is the story of the love of Isis and Osiris. But before we get down to that, a very big welcome to you all, to any new and indeed returning listeners. If this is your first listen, uh, this is a very different kind of tale that we usually do. We tend to revolve around Irish folklore and mythology. But in the last few months, every third story, I've been sampling a story from a different world of mythology to really increase the span and breadth of the podcast and of just my own knowledge and and love of world storytelling um uh, but if you're a returning listener you will know this by now and uh, i hope you enjoy this one this uh, all the usual ways you can support the podcast you can follow me over on instagram at fireside bard you can email me at the fireside bard at gmail.com uh, you can share this on your story share this with your friends you can buy my book garden see my neomyth of home in paperback from the headstuff website or in kindle version from amazon and you can also support the podcast directly by joining headstuff plus at headstuffpodcast.com where you can gain bonus material uh, to not just Fireside, but for all of the podcasts on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Those are all the sales out of the way, and all of the links are in the description below. Thank you so much to everyone who continues to support the podcast um, by either buying my book or supporting it online, or even just by listening to it. So thank you so, so much. Um, I'm coming to you. I'm recording back-to-back here with the with the episode, the last episode we did on The Corpse, um, and trying to get back on board and back ahead of ourselves with the podcast. Uh, I've moved back up to Dublin, which is which I'm delighted about. And moving back up to Dublin, I didn't talk about last week, will also allow me to get back into the Headstuff Podcast Network studios, uh, which I cannot wait to. Uh, it was the original home of the podcast. It still is the home of the podcast, but I mostly record it. Uh, on the road now and because I'm always so many different places but now that I'm back settled in Dublin for a while playing Irish music and um, giving literary tours around and still writing and recording the podcast um, it'll be great to get back into the home uh, and back into the office of Headstuff. Um, I also have uh, finally finished my novel um, and I've started to send it out 
Um, I'm sure there's still be some redrafts to do, but it has been the labor of uh, just under two years. Um, and I am delighted with it. I'm delighted that it's done for the moment and excited to start the next project. But I'm excited to see what will happen with this book and I look forward to chatting to you all about it more. Um, those who have bought and read Garden Sea, it'll be quite different from that, not just because one was a poetry collection and this will be a full novel. Um, but I feel everything that I learned from the Garden Sea experience, which was incredible, I and I continue to learn so much from it. Um, from the whole experience of it um, and it gave me that confidence to have the concentration and the um, the grit I guess to finish a whole novel um, and I'm very very proud of that uh, so I look forward to hopefully sharing more information with that about you all soon the story for this week um, is well what can you say about Egyptian mythology I mean other than Greek mythology, I would say Egyptian mythology is probably the most well-known of all world mythologies, even in a in a basic way, you know, because people will know these images of Osiris and Isis and Thoth and Anubis. We know them from the incredible hieroglyphics and from just how old the ancient world of Egypt is, predating so so many other cultures that already seem so old as it is and i came to egyptian mythology at quite a young age probably just after i got into greek mythology and i think probably a big part of it was the mummy came out when i was young i think that came out about in 88 99 and that blew my mind i remember it was like the scariest thing i'd ever seen and there's just something so captivating about the imagery of Egyptian mythology from the hieroglyphics and from the pyramids and the sarcophaguses. And I remember being young and becoming obsessed with Tutankhamun and the idea of mummification. And I still to this day have quite a thing about uh, being buried alive. Uh, so there was always kind of my heart always got tightened when I imagined the thoughts of uh, all of the slaves and servants who were trapped inside the pyramid the pyramids with the dead pharaohs and the whole world and culture around that but as i said at the end of last week my interest in love and in in persistent love of egyptian mythology didn't translate as much to my adulthood in the same way that the greeks stayed with me and then later on when irish and celtic mythology became my obsession um it's not something that i stayed as familiar with but as I've been doing these world tales, and we did one of the Arabian Nights, we've done a grim tale, we've done a tale from Greek mythology, we've done a tale from West African mythology, um, and as I continue to do a spread out of that, um, I'm looking for more obscure ones, but I'm also looking for the the heavy hitters, you know, especially if I'm only going to be doing one, like a sample episode, like my only goal for doing something like Rumpelstiltskin or the myth of Persephone, which has been done and done and done and adapted and readapted by far far greater artists and writers and storytellers than me the only thing i can really bring to it is whatever the essence of fireside is and also that i can only treat it as an introduction that maybe there are some who wouldn't have been familiar with these stories as people wouldn't have been familiar with a lot of the irish stories and that they may then go on and read editions um of them 
Um, and that's why I give, that's why I always give links in the description to every one of my sources and everything. Some, some are dense, uh, you know, sometimes I combine, uh, I always try to make it my own to a degree. Um, but I always like to recommend these sources because this is how I discover them a lot of the time. Um, so with that in mind, I came back to Egyptian mythology. But the main reason I was tentative about it was there wasn't a story that jumped out at me. There was a lot of characters uh, and a lot of figures that I was interested in, mostly being Anubis. Anubis who's the god of the underworld and the god of mummification with the head of the jackal and just this kind of lord of the dead. I mean, I'm just... For whatever, maybe it says it says a lot about me. I mean, I'm not a particularly gothy or macabre or maudlin person, I don't think. Certainly not aesthetically. Um, but I just love me some gods of the dead. Um, they tend to usually be my favorites. You know, my favorite in Irish mythology is the Morrigan. My favorite in Greek is Hades or Hermes. And Hermes is also the ferryman to the underworld as well. There's something, some the, I don't know, there's something about ruling uh, the underworld and the imagery and the stories that always come from that that has always really captivated me. And Anubis is no different, well, especially because Egyptian mythology is so revolved and Egyptian history, certainly what we would know about it when we think of the pyramids and about mummification, it is all revolved around death and rebirth and that and the image of these massive massive tombs to dead people and the huge amount and effort and strain that went into the construction of these graves um, and Anubis was one of the lords of that so I went looking for a myth of, about Anubis and was just finding more information and little stories but then that led me on to the story of Osiris which is the the main, or one of certainly the main and certainly one of the most important stories in Egyptian mythology. And so this just seemed like the perfect introduction because it gave very clear and defined characters in it. And Anubis gets to be one of them. I will put my hand on my heart say I have bigged up his part in this just because I'm a, I'm a soft spot for him. Uh, but we will chat more about it afterwards, of course. But this is the tale of Isis and Osiris on Fireside. <laughs> Isis and Osiris All good things, my dear Clea, sensible men must ask from the gods, and especially do we pray that from these mighty gods we may, in our quest, gain a knowledge of themselves, so far as such a thing is attainable by men. For we believe that there is nothing more important for man to receive, or more ennobling for God of his grace to grant, than the truth. Plutarch. Before the Tour de Danon landed to rule the island of Era, to the far southeast on the banks of the River Nile was the ancient civilization of Egypt. The ruler of these lands was Osiris the god of agriculture and fertility who had brought prosperity to the desert world. He had done so without even ever needing to resort to violence. He ruled with charm and love. 
Osiris had been born on the first day of the old world. And when he was born, it was said, the Lord of all advances towards the light. Osiris had three younger siblings, the warrior god Set and the goddesses Nephthys and Isis. Nephthys married Set and Osiris married Isis. There was a lot of that in the world of the old gods. Osiris and Isis were so enamored with each other, it was said that they had first consorted in the womb. Set held a banquet, the largest ever seen in the ancient world, and invited gods and kings to the feast. There were major and minor deities, but guest of honor was Osiris, universally beloved by all his people. Set sat on his throne and announced, My guests, I think we will have a game. I have had this beautiful chest constructed, a fine addition to any home I think you will all agree. I offer it as a gift to whomever fits inside. One by one, each of the guests tried to squeeze into the chest of Set. But no one could. Everyone was either too large or too small. Finally, Osiris had his turn and found the chest fit like a glove. Beautiful, perfect brother Osiris, said Set. That chest surely is fit for a king. At that, Set snapped his fingers, and a large lid was immediately slammed on top of the chest, trapping Osiris inside. As the shocked guests cried out, Set nailed the chest shut. Set had always been jealous of his older brother and longed to usurp him as king of Egypt. But rather than have Osiris murdered, Set had decided to build a coffin to bury his brother alive. The strong warrior god then lifted the coffin high above his head, carried it outside to the riverbank, and tossed it into the Nile. Set then returned to the banquet, which had turned from a party to a funeral, and now to a coronation. Osiris drifted down the Nile, alive inside his sarcophagus, powerless to escape. Eventually, the deposed king landed on the shores of the kingdom of Byblos. There, a tree grew around the coffin, stronger and more magnificent than had ever grown on the Nile. The king of Byblos noticed the tree and felt the power emanating from it. The king demanded the tree be chopped down and displayed proudly in his throne room, with the god Osiris still trapped inside its dense bark. Set's wicked plan had worked perfectly, and he became the new king of all of Egypt. He would be the warrior king, the violent king. But Set had not accounted on the loyalty of his sisters. Isis mourned for her husband Osiris, but she was powerful and determined to find him. She went to her sister, Nephthys, wife of Set. Sister, 
I know you loved our brother and king. It's a terrible thing that Set has done, and it must be made right. I plead for your help. Neftis agreed. She had never wanted to depose Osiris with such disregard. Neftis had also previously given birth to an illeg illegitimate Tether again. She had also previously given birth to an illegitimate son by Osiris, whom she had hidden from the wrath of Set. The boy had been raised by jackals in the desert and became the god Anubis. Like the loyal hounds he would forever be associated with, he was often depicted with the head of a jackal. Anubis joined his mother Nephthys and Aunt Isis to find the lost Osiris. Isis and Nephthys took the form of hawks and traveled all over Egypt in search of the coffin. Some children on the Nile pointed them in the direction of Byblos. There Isis took the form of an old nurse and was given charge of the baby prince. Isis decided to make the baby immortal which involved setting fire to the child to burn away his mortality. As Isis was in the midst of the act, the king of Byblos entered the room and was understandably horrified at his son being set on fire. But at that moment Isis revealed herself in her shining goddess form and demanded the tree that contained Osiris. The king of Byblos brought the goddess to the throne room, and there Isis cut the trunk in half and finally found the chest. But when she opened it, Isis was devastated to discover that Osiris had suffocated inside. Not even the greatest of the gods could escape death. But Isis had not gone to all of this effort to give up now. She vowed to resurrect her beloved. So she brought the body of Anubis while she searched for a cur. Again. So she brought the body to Anubis while she searched for a cure for death. Set, however, had discovered his sister's plan and hunted at night until he found the body of Osiris and stole it away from under the dog's nose of Anubis. I'll make it so that no one ever finds you again. Set then removed a sword and chopped his brother's body up into fourteen pieces and scattered them all over Egypt. But Isis's determination and love of Osiris could not be thwarted, the goddess sailed across the Nile in a boat made of papyrus and scoured every corner of the kingdom and found her husband piece by piece. That is why there are so many different tombs to Osiris in Egypt. And speaking of pieces, there was only one piece Isis could not find. The penis of Osiris had been devoured by a fish which is why some Egyptians refused to eat fish of the Nile. But with every other part of her husband now found, Isis pieced him back together. She had Anubis wrap Osiris in bandages. 
which made Osiris the first mummy, and Anubis the god of mummification. Then Isis finally breathed life back into her husband, resurrecting Osiris from the dead. The lovers were together again, but as Osiris had died and was still incomplete, he could never depose the wicked set and become king again. Well, at least not king of the living. But Anubis had an idea. Osiris, you are the only one who knows what it is to die and be reborn. You must become king of the dead. So Osiris descended into the realm of Duat and ruled as the king of the underworld, forever the judge and ferryman of the dead. But before he did, Osiris and Isis conceived a child. I know what you're thinking. Wasn't he missing something crucial for that? Well, Isis had constructed a new member for her husband, and she gave birth to the beautiful Horus. Osiris frequently returned to the land of the living to train Horus to avenge him. One day he asked the boy, What do you think, my son, is the most noble act in life? Horus answered, To avenge a mother and father for the evil done to them. Then Osiris asked, What animal is the greatest ally in battle? Horus answered, A horse. Osiris was intrigued by this response. Not a lion, no. Horus said, A lion is good for assistance in battle, but a horse may aid a man in cutting off his enemy's flight and annihilating him. With this answer, Osiris knew Horus was ready to rule. Horus rose up an army against Set and defeated his uncle, avenged his father, and became the new king of all of Egypt. Set was brought in chains before Isis, who refused to have the traitor killed. You are a treacherous man, Set, said Isis, but you are still my brother, so I will not kill you, but nor may you live amongst us. I banish you forever to the desert. Horus was infuriated by the mercy his mother had shown Set after all he had done to her and Osiris. But ultimately, Horus respected his mother and her wishes. This story became one of the most important to ancient Egyptians, who saw in Horus and Osiris the possibilities of life after death. Those who drowned in the Nile, as Osiris had, were considered blessed. Those who sailed the river in boats made of papyrus, as Isis did, were safe from the attacks of crocodiles. Kings, queens, and anyone wealthy enough attempted to mimic the death of Osiris by being mummified, preserving their bodies in death. They believed that the mortal kings lived as Horus, the sky god, and when they died, they ruled and became the greatest of all gods, Osiris.
to be continued. Is AI taking over? How can I be safe online? Will big tech go bust? For tech's sake, we'll answer all of these questions and more in its new series. I'm Elaine Burke. And I'm Jenny Darmody. And we're back with more experts to help you be a more informed and empowered tech user. For Tech's Sake is a co-production from Silicon Republic and the Headstuff Podcast Network. And there we have the myth of Isis and Osiris on Fireside. And I hope you all enjoyed it. A very, very different kind of tale, even by our standards of going off-road in Fireside normally. Um, but a wonderful one as well. I included that quote from Plutarch at the beginning, the Greek philosopher, because it is actually his version of the story that I loved the most and used most in this adaptation, which was very interesting uh, because Plutarch was a Greek and much, much later than where these stories would have originated from. Um, he was about first century AD, so these stories would have already existed for thousands of years, probably by this point. Um, but he just added a lot of detail that really stuck out with me that I thought was a lot of fun and really interesting. And because a lot of the earliest texts of this particular story, as important as it is, are quite vague. For example, there is little to nothing about the birth and rule of Osiris, because that is not the part that's important. It's not, I guess, because it's not interesting that he's perfect as he is. Um, we're interested in flawed characters, even flawed gods. The story really kicks off where it does with the with his death, with the kidnapping of him. And other versions, some versions don't even detail it as a murder. Sometimes he just disappears, you know, um, the chest and the being buried alive most of them are quite plutarchian um certainly is the sailing through the river and sometimes horus has been born before osiris dies sometimes he is born after sometimes there is a second baby born before osiris descends back into the underworld and that is another brother there's a huge amount a huge amount of different versions and uh very few of them kind of line up so i just with this was a case where i picked one um and picked aspects of others but i just found the plutarchs to be the most interesting because he filled in a lot of the gaps such as incredibly uh the detail of the missing penis of osiris and uh, which is very much a part of the tale and again a very strong a strong image of it of him um now plutarch uses that specifically to explain why fish don't or Egyptians don't eat fish, or didn't eat fish, or certain fish from the Nile. Um, he uses it like that in a very, the way that the Greeks did with their gods, and I suppose all ancient civilizations do, to explain certain cultures that, and customs that didn't, that they needed reason for. And um, I just thought that, that that was, because like Isis is the real MVP here as a character, Um uh, the fact that herself and they're very much like Zeus and Hera, but much more devoted to each other um, and loyal to each other. Um, apparently, yes, like Osiris's illegitimate child with Nephthys, who becomes Anubis. Apparently, that was because he thought that Nephthys was Isis, which again only really works in the world of the gods. Um, 
But yeah, I wanted to big up Anubis wherever I could, and so I wanted to include the detail of his birth. So he is another son of Osiris and was the original god of the dead and the underworld, um, but handed it over to his father uh, to rule as the dead. But naturally, this is just a hugely a story about where mummification comes from and why that custom was so important to pharaohs. It wasn't just about, you know, showing the wealth. It was the idea of preserving the body um, so that you may live forever. It was the idea of the immortality. And I thought that was particularly interesting that they believed that while they lived and ruled as kings, they were Horus, they were him incarnated. And then when they died, they became his father. So they weren't just going to the world of the dead, they were going to rule the world of the dead. Each one of them would become Osiris. And that is a very powerful, powerful, strong idea. Um, and yeah, I could imagine having having a lot of pyramids and uh, huge amounts of riches and sarcophagies and sarcophaguses, if that's the term, built all around that. Um, so that made it hugely, hugely interesting. We also have Set, the villain of this piece, very much the, the uh, Ares, you know, the god of war, the warrior god, and interesting that Osiris was considered a very peaceful king. Again, unfortunately, he was boring because he was perfect. He fit right in the chest. Um but it's interesting, yeah, this, we have such a strong image of mummification and of the sarcophagus, and it's, it's interesting that this story that it revolves around is the idea of treachery and that it was a trap that, and as a plan, just incredible on Seth's point of view, to bury his brother alive, to hold a funeral for his brother while he's alive and just throw him into the Nile. And, yeah, it's very interesting, the idea, because we don't have a huge amount of stories of gods dying. You know, that's kind of part of the God thing. You live forever, you can't die. Um, but here, it's so important that he does die uh, and comes back. So there is, then there's, you know, naturally uh, a, a, an allegory with Jesus Christ there as well. Like Egyptians very much had the idea of the father and the son and the death and the resurrection um, thousands of years before the story of Jesus Christ comes along. Um, which is naturally very fascinating as well in terms of the idea of the monomyth and the idea of the different stories appearing in different cultures and heritages and beliefs over the centuries and over the millennia. Uh, and I remember always hearing that. I always remember hearing like Osiris and Jesus being mentioned in the same and not appreciating the connection before really delving into the detail of this story. I think the most interesting thing about the Plutarch version that I didn't really incorporate because I wanted to make this just about the Egyptian gods is uh, Plutarch's all about tying it in with the Greeks. So, like, Osiris is basically a son of Kronos, one of the titans uh, who gave birth to Zeus and Hades and Hera and all of them. Uh, and it has a detail at the end where when, when Isis spares um, Set and banishes him to the desert, that Horus tries to kill her. Uh, which I thought just put too sour an ending on it. And again, as just one version, I didn't think that was sanitizing it by excluding that. But it also had that it was Hermes who came and stopped Horus from killing his mother. So Plutarch, as much as he was using, like filling in the gaps of Egyptian culture, he was also very much wrapping this world 
into the world of the Greek gods, which makes sense as well. You see that with the Christian allegories in Irish mythology uh, of ways of connecting the Bible to the stories for you have Cesar and the Flood as this granddaughter of Noah, and she would then go on to be the first person to land on the island of Ireland, which would lead to the gods there. And all the ways of tying all the beliefs together in one neat little bow, which never really works, but it always produces really interesting stuff. And and this was no exception. I will naturally, I will put the Plutarch, a link to the Plutarch in the description below if you want to read that yourself. There are plenty of videos on YouTube as well. There's a great little TED-Ed video as well um, of the story of Osiris. If anyone wants to read a bit more, I'll put the links in the description below. But yes, I hope you all enjoyed this. Um, I will wrap things up now, but thank you so much for listening. As always, let me know your thoughts. Let me know on Instagram at FiresideBard. Email me at thefiresidebard.com. Please buy my book, Garden Sea and Neil Myth of Home, from uh, Headstuff or from the Kindle website, the paperback and shipped all around the world. Um, next week, we'll return to the world of Irish mythology. Uh, I will see you all. You'll hear me all next time. Remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.